0: and welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Mara Gordon, co-founder of Aunt Zelda's, Zalira Therapeutics, and Octopi Wellness. Welcome, Mara. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Mara Gordon specializes in the development of data-driven cannabis treatment protocols for seriously ill patients and is dedicated to bringing about change in the healthcare system. Prior to working with cannabinoid-based medicine, Gordon worked as a process engineer, helping Fortune 500 companies create intelligent software. This experience has enabled her to take a detailed and scientific approach to medical cannabis. Gordon has transformed the lives of thousands of patients suffering from a variety of ailments, including chronic pain, autoimmune conditions, and multiple forms of cancer. Her pioneering work in the field of medical cannabis has been chronicled in films such as The Medicine and Marijuana, Mary Jane's Women of Weed, and the award-winning documentary Weed the People. Mara, it is such an honor to have you on the show. You are a pioneer and without a doubt, one of the most important women leading in cannabis. So please tell us where it all began. How did you go from working (laughs) at a Fortune 500 company to a process engineer to creating a life-changing products for patients in cannabis?
1: Yeah, quite, quite, a, quite a change from uh, figuring out how to tell if people are lying on their credit card applications, to <laughs> and filling out their uh, their uh, gift cards at the checkout at Safeway to what I do now. Um, it's been quite a journey. I had uh, stopped working uh, back in two thousand and I can't remember now if it was thir- three or four. I think it was two thousand three. I had stopped working because of health issues. And uh, I didn't, I, I had done very well, you know, part of the dot com and part of technology and all that. And uh, it just didn't make any sense to be, you know, forcing myself to be suffering every day. I'd had a myriad of health issues in the past. I had, it had gotten to the point where I was on uh, so many different medicines, so many different pharmaceuticals, and all they were really doing was making my life pretty miserable. Uh, they were, you know, the way that they're designed, they treat one thing and then you have the side effects. You have to take something else to to deal with that and on and on and on. But it wasn't until my husband, um, who had broken his back and had to have surgery, uh, and, and, that until he needed to have that, that I really started looking around at other alternatives to what I was using, um, At the time, I mean, now he's been sober for 32 years. And so he was not willing to use any kind of opioids or anything like that. And so when we found cannabis, I mean, I had less than no interest in starting a business. Absolutely none. It was the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to continue to enjoy the life I was living, but there was nothing out there uh, there was no lab testing. There was no uh, understanding of the products and the medicine at all. It was basically Rice crispy Kris- treats and brownies and cookies and things like that that people were making in their home kitchens and uh, with no quality control. Oftentimes, just buying you know brownie mixes from Safeway and then going home and, and you know sticking some weed in there and wrapping it up with some cellophane. And taking it to the dispensary, and that's what was on the shelves. And you know, as somebody who is a data junkie, and uh, wants you know, I'll, I want science behind it. I figured I can I can do better than this, and so I started making the medicine just for my husband and me. And then people started asking us, you know, to help them. And uh, I found out about a couple of people that were in very, very bad shape. One woman in particular that had had a double lung heart transplant and uh, she, cannabis was helping her manage some of her side effects. And so I was making for her as well with the understanding that I'll provide you the medicine, but you have to provide me the feedback. I need to get the data on the other side. So the agreement was always with people I'll make you medicine, but you got to tell us what's working and how it's working. So that's how it all began.
0: That's amazing. So now, now it has turned into three companies that you have co-founded and one is listed on the stock exchange.
1: That's correct. That's
0: what correct. was that process like? So you go from, I am no interest whatsoever in starting a company to three cannabis companies and one on the stock exchange. That's incredible.
1: Well, it's been it's been an interesting decade. I'll tell you that. Um, I actually had I started other companies as well and then dissolved them as necessary. For example, I had one Calispring Wellness, which was a medical practice that I started um, because I recognized that we needed doctors and nurses to be recommending uh, cannabis properly to patients um, and the only way they could do that is if they had data and if they had education, but they are not allowed to actually work for a company that touches the plant. So I started a company that doesn't touch the plant, uh, mm-hmm. trained them, started, you know, letting them use the software platform at, to uh, treat patients. And then once we had that up and going said, I don't need to do that anymore. So got rid of that piece of it. Um, if you think about my, my objective has been solving the dosing conundrum so that medical professionals can confidently manage their patient's care and include cannabis in their toolbox. Not instead of, not, you know, one-off everything, it's a panacea for everything, but that when a patient goes to a doctor and a doctor says, I mean, a patient has a certain uh, diagnosis when the doctor looks at those uh, products, excuse me, those medications to recommend for the patient to prescribe or otherwise get to them, that when appropriate cannabis is there also and in the right form and in the right uh, uh, dosing uh, capability. So each of the companies that I created were a different piece of the puzzle on solving that. Aunt Zelda's was the medicine is the medicine that we've been treating people with and, and and having the feedback loop on what's working, what's not, how much, and we're doing this with objective data as well as subjective, looking at, you know, scans and blood work and, and various uh, scales that the medical community uses. Um, uh, CDR med was the software platform that I initially created internally to for our medical practice to be able to manage this. And then Aunt Zelda's, because we were lab testing all these years, we started lab testing in the beginning of 2011. We knew what was in it. Uh, we were able to measure uh, very specifically what they were using and how they were using it. So that that is the one that has now, that was just an internal platform that I built within Aunt Zelda's. That's what Octopi Wellness has now um broken off as its own company to be allowing uh, uh, more and more doctors to be able to use our system. I think we're going to be rolling out to the next hundred doctors uh, the end of April. Um, So that was, that was the, the software is for basically it's a way for doctors to dose correctly and to track it. Um, Aunt Zelda's of course was, is the products and always has been within California. And now we're in South Africa and moving into Brazil And, uh, I'm sure it'll go other places here eventually. And then in order to have, uh, physicians to go back to this original thing, in order to have physicians be willing to recommend cannabis, we had to destigmatize it, but we also had to validate it, which meant that we were going to have to be able to do preclinical and clinical trials, which are very expensive. And rec- create a very specific set of skills that are required to do that. And Zelda Therapeutics, which has now become Zalira, we merged with Alira Healthcare end of 2019 and became Zalira. That's the, that's the part of what we do that uh, validates through preclinical and clinical trials. So that the products coming out of there have actual science and heft behind them.
0: Wow, I don't even know where to begin with the, how amazing all of that is, especially, especially Octopi Wellness. So you're saying that you've created a platform that doctors are going to be able to use in a hospital-type setting, in a clinic setting, that will show them what dosing to give their patients of cannabis and THC, CBD, for each ailment that they want to prescribe it for, in addition to their other medications.
1: Correct. Correct. It it gives them a starting point for a therapeutic dose for treating based upon the data that we've collected and the algorithms that we've created behind that. Um, And then if to have a doctor be able to feel comfortable doing that and saying, "Okay, here are like, for example, somebody has, you know, ERPR positive breast cancer and they're starting chemotherapy. Um, to be able to say, and, and the patient wants to, uh, needs help with, let's say, alleviating the side effects of the chemotherapy. They're very nauseated and they're having trouble sleeping and bone ache. And these are the things that the patient needs help with. The physician will be able to say, okay, you've treated you know 550 women that had this same in between these age groups. Um, so this is a good starting point and it'll show them what that good starting point is um, with that patient. Because, you know, all medicine is bespoke medicine. It's not unique to cannabis. It's just not unique to it. So we built it in such a way that a physician can feel comfortable having the, the, the starting point.
0: The, what that is going to do for normalization and destigmatization is it's kind of blowing my mind listening to you talking about this. You know, we fight so much on the outside trying to change people's perceptions, but when you can actually give doctors tools that make sense in their world and patients can receive it for in that setting, wow. I, I'm That's amazing. That is amazing.
1: Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I actually have an uh, – I've had like insurance companies reach out to me and, and want to talk about, you know, workman's comp, getting people off the opioid crisis, getting people back to work. And this is something where these doctors can use it to potentially manage. I mean, there's all sorts of different opportunities to really change the, but, you know, it seems like why, you know, how do people have said to me more than once, like, how can you possibly be doing so many different things and, and, and running so many companies? And it's like, you don't get it. Each one of these is a piece in one puzzle Mm. and that's it. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. So working with patients, I imagine that you are really looking forward to the day when everyone has access regardless of their, where they live because of legalization coming. What are you really excited about in that realm? And what are you really concerned about when it comes to patient access in the world of legalization?
1: Well, boy, how many hours do we have? So, uh, on the on the what I'm excited about is I'm excited about how the laws are shifting around the country and around the world. On. Um, the view of cannabis. And I think that, you know, it's kind of been one hand washing the other on other plant medicines and, you know, things like psilocybin and psychedelics and all those. I think the fact that those are becoming more normalized has made cannabis seem almost tame. Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean, they, it's not one or the other, we need both, but, uh, I, so I'm very excited about the direction and the fact that we have a majority of states now in the U.S. that are that are pro cannabis and that have some sort of cannabis allowance on their books. What I'm very 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 unhappy about is the uh, the way that CBD is being uh, carved out as if it's not part of the plant and treated as a separate thing, so that people can access through the Farm Bill. Now, in some cases. I've gotten pushback from patients that have said, you know, I I said something recently in an interview about how I really feel like the hemp industry has done a terrible disservice to patients. And, uh, I got pushback from a woman in Indiana that said, yeah, that's all I have access to. And it really helps me. And I was like, great. That's fantastic. I'm glad you're, I'm glad that you're getting relief. That's just wonderful. And she, uh, I can't remember the exact conversation that went back and forth, but what came out very quickly was that she had to go through three different products before she found one that even remotely did what it said it would do, what it claimed it would do. And that's the problem is there just is not the kind of regulation and oversight that there should be. And the stigmatization of THC is if it's a, you know, a bad thing here, take my, take my CBD is, is just absurd and really doing a disservice to patients, a terrible, terrible disservice to patients. Um, I have a tremendous number of, of people that we have helped that would not uh, have gotten any kind of results. If, if CBD, for example, and hemp CBD as an isolate had been the only thing they had access to. So uh, that's the, the, profit over what's really good for the patient has been uh, an ugly thing. I think that when uh, in California, when Prop 64 passed, uh, they confused the legal market of THC and CBD and hemp and cannabis. They confused that somehow with what the definition of recreational, and the definition of medical, it became more about what What license did you do your product under instead of like, do you have a, do you have a, which license do you have at your dispensary or your manufacturing plant instead of what is the intention of the patient and how they're using it? And that should be what, what determines whether something is medical or, uh, adult use products.
0: Well, that's the move we've seen in the EU, right? To pharmaceuticalize CBD
1: Yes, I don't, I don't, I don't. I think that all of it has room on the uh, value chain of behind the counter, in front of the counter, and then up in the front of the store. I always talk about cannabis uh, and 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 CB hemp. Uh, In terms of like, you know, imagine a pharmacy, you have those that belong behind the pharmaceutical counter, and you should have oversight if you know if I have somebody that's on five or 600 milligrams of cannabinoids on a daily basis, I really, really feel strongly that that should be under some sort of a medical supervision. If you have somebody who's like, you know what, I've got a headache and I know if I take a little bit of this, it's going to work. Sure. Go to the area in front of the pharmacy where they have like the over the counter versions of everything, lower dose, et cetera, easier to use, you know. Um, and then, you know, if you want to have your, you know, your fun, uh, drinks and, and you know, infused beverages and and things like that, they should be in the front of the store, kind of like where the candy is now.
0: Interesting. So you've been in the industry for a long time and you have seen a lot of things change. How has the industry changed for women for the better and for the worse in that time?
1: Boy, when I first started this, women were the ones that were really driving, the women were the formulators, the women were the ones that had years and years of experience, you know, making tinctures, making, you know, uh, poultices and things like that, treat their family and friends. Um, you, the, the cultivation side was pretty well dominated by men. Um, women were doing more of the actual processing and formulating and treatment, you know, to the patient level. Um, and I think that uh, Prop 64, and actually, I'm going to go back even further than that. I would say the legalization in Canada kind of changed the whole face of it in the U.S. because they started seeing the writing on the wall of the opportunity. And it's when it came in with, with the, you know, I call it, you know, the white suits the men from all over the country that had never tried had no relationship with the plant whatsoever. And believe me, I don't think that you have to have a you know quote unquote relationship with it in order to be successful. Uh, I didn't have one. In fact, my previous experience with cannabis had been pretty negative uh, back in the nineteen seventies because I didn't know what I was doing back then and didn't have access to anything other than like Texas ditchweed. Mm. Um, so uh, you know, I think that women are uh, creating really wonderful products now and very entrepreneurial. Uh, unfortunately, when I still look at boards of most of the companies that are out there, I see a lot of white guys and not a lot of diversity. And I don't see a lot of, you know, diversity of color and diversity of gender. And, you know, I think that uh, ArcView Uh, for example, which is the big investor network in cannabis side of things. The fact that the CEO now is Kim Kovac uh, from My Jane is fantastic. They've now started the uh, WIN, which is the Women's Investor Network, which is women helping women so that, you know, because women traditionally have a harder time raising money. We have a harder time, um, uh, even when we do raise money, getting the same amount of capital And, uh, so I do a lot of mentoring in, in the industry. In fact, I just got off a call with another woman who has a beauty line and there were some things that she was doing that I thought that maybe by some helpful hints. So we had a call so I could, you know, help her on that. Um, I just, I just think that women are joining forces more but it's still kind of quaint. It's still like, you don't see the female run multi-state operators. You don't see that sort of thing. So there's a lot of room to improve what's going on for women now. And um, uh, I just think that, you know, I came from an industry that was male dominated before this. So that wasn't, you know, I was already used to being the minority in the room. Hmm and having to have a loud, powerful voice in order to be heard. And so I think that I, I, you know, when I watch these panels at events and they'll be like uh, the women's panel, I just like, no, I don't, we don't need a women's panel. That's like, oh, all the men do all the serious stuff. And then we're going to throw a token women's panel together Mm -hmm. and women go up at the end of their sentences. Like they're asking permission instead of being strong. I mean, I just think that women need more coaching And mentoring around business and how to be powerful and our culture and our society just doesn't teach that or doesn't teach it very well.
0: Agree. And I I will second the ArcView Women Investor Network, which is now the Women Inclusion Network. Women Empowered in Cannabis has actually partnered with them and the two organizations together, we're going to be producing content and events to help women actually, you know, get the access to funding hopefully, but you know, we're really more focused on how do we take down those bricks in that wall so that we no longer have to be asking white men, can you validate my company and give me money and let me succeed?
1: Yes. Yes. I'm so glad you're going to be doing that, Kira. I, you know, I'm, I'm, Founder member of that organization, um, though I've never asked them for any money. Uh, I, you know, I'm always free to help anybody that needs some input or help.
0: Thank you, Mara. That's great to know. Of course. So, how you've built three companies? How have you built your companies to be inclusive and diverse? Are there extra policies or actions you've taken to ensure that women and other marginalized groups are included?
1: That is a question that I grapple with on a regular basis. Um, I do not uh, think that that you would ask that question very much. If you looked at Zalira's board, <laughs> you know, we have a uh, uh, African-American chairman of the board and African-American CEO. We have a woman director of operations. We have, I mean, we're, it's, we're, it's a pretty diverse and I'm very, very proud of that. At Aunt Zelda's, we have, a, it's like 50, 50 men and women. And the way that I go about doing that is really just when I'm interviewing, first looking at the skills, uh, gender neutral, and then if all things are equal, I'm going to go towards the the female or the person of color or the person who needs the the hand up instead of a handout. Because a lot of times it is somebody who's just had a really rough time of it and and needs a break, you know, needs, it's just, yeah. Instead of just like, Oh yeah, this is the shiny, the shiny person that I'm going to hire. Sometimes it's like, like, for example, our lab director um, is a man and there's, you know, it's not all men, are, you know, some of the men are, but he came to us as a 20 year underground grower that wanted to, be able to do something else with his life. So we invested the time and energy in in training him and allowing him to become excellent at what he does. People come to us, and I've I've kind of established a reputation as a macro manager. Um, I and the women in particular that sometimes they struggle a little bit with this, but once they figure it out that I mean it, they're not afraid of negative feedback. And what I mean by that is. you know, together we set the goals of what needs to happen and what needs to be done, but how you achieve it is up to you. So we, I don't tell people exactly the roadmap to get where they're going. I just tell them what the destination is, give them the tools and then help them to get there themselves and be there along the way, obviously, if they need direction.
0: That is so interesting because I'm in a process of hiring a few women right now, and they have said to me, well, you know, what do you want me to do? What are my what are my expectations and guidelines and my approaches? I would really rather co-create the the position with you. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes.
0: And I feel like it's a much more feminine approach.
1: Right. Yes. Let's like, for example, I um, she no longer is with me because she went off on a new journey and I'm so proud of her, but Jess Dugan used to work with us. I don't know if you know who Jess is. Um she was the she was I think she was employee number one for Arcview for when it was just Troy Dayton working out of his apartment. Um and then she went on to create this amazing reflections yoga retreat and everything. And I was looking for somebody to like my chief of staff, and uh I watched her for you know at how she did her work and I was so impressed. I ended up high I asking her if she'd come work with us. I then had her and other people, this is just, I'm using her as a, as an example, you know, write your own job description. And she included things in there that I wouldn't even have thought to include. And, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you're a parent, but, you know, but I am And like, you know, when you go to punish your kids, if you ask them what they think a fair punishment is, they're usually going to be harder on themselves than, than you would be on them. And, and I find that when people have input into their job descriptions and into their into what their objectives are it's much broader and uh, and deeper than maybe I would have even thought of myself and once that's once that's been determined and you have projects you just you know can measure against the success and the timeline of those projects
0: do you think that these positions that you've taken, uh, have made your business more successful and a stronger company?
1: I would have to say yes, because we're still standing after a decade when so many aren't.
0: Yeah. It's it's interesting because I have a lot of conversations with people where there's, you know, well, you know, I know we should, and we're trying, but what they don't understand is that over and over again, statistics show that companies that focus on hiring women and focus on diversity have less turnover rate, higher success rate, higher returns on investment, and that it's good for the health of the organization, but it's often really hard to convince people to to put that front and center in building their company. So I'm really excited to see that you've done such a great job with that, with with all three of your companies.
1: Well, you know, Kira, that's a very Western approach. It's like Mm -hmm. we brag about how overworked we are. I mean, that's just silly. We act like it's a badge of honor to be abusing ourselves. It just doesn't even make any sense at all. Um, and, and you know, I used to, for example, I was caught up in that as well. And I used to, you know, work every single day. And what are you doing? Oh, I'm working hard. Oh, I got more meetings. Ah, you know, as if meetings actually got anything done. And um, And then finally somebody who I respect a lot said to me, you know, you need a day off every week. And I was like, Oh, I got too much to do. You know? And he said, you know, even slaves got a day off. And it wasn't because their owners were kind. It was because they realized that they were more, uh, they were more productive when they had a day off. And that really clicked for me. And so starting about seven years ago, I started taking off from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, which kind of works anyway, since I'm Jewish and it's the Sabbath. Um, And I don't use any electronics. I don't do anything that's work related. I don't don't wanna know about the news. I don't wanna know the latest anything. I just become very focused on being present and internal. And that makes me, I believe, far more productive the other days of the week.
0: It's an incredible sanity break yes yeah. I protect my weekends as well I just it, it it makes me more productive and it keeps me from it, I make better decisions because I'm rested and I'm rejuvenated and my personal life has had some time so I, I I'm completely on board with you there
1: you know let me let me just say one thing if I may sorry to interrupt you you know one of the things that technology has done that is a negative is, It has eliminated people's comfort with boredom. Mm -hmm.
0: I'll
1: be on a, I'll be on a zoom call, for example, and something will come in and I have to take a call and the person will say, Oh, that's okay. Instantaneously, they pick up their phone and start doing something else. You know what? You can't be creative unless you have white space.
0: Mm.
1: Being bored is a valuable tool for creativity And I don't think that we become human doings instead of human beings. And as a result, I believe that a lot of the creativity is being squelched.
0: Could not agree more. So Mara, what advice do you have for women in the medical profession or in wellness that want to find a place in the cannabis industry? Where do they begin?
1: I believe that whatever you're already trained to do has a place. You know, I gave a presentation a few years ago, and I'm actually getting ready to give it again down in Africa on the various opportunities touching and not touching the plant is the way that I refer to it. Um, and it's like if you're already a school teacher, for example, and you want to get into cannabis space, then you can become an educator in cannabis by getting educated, of course, yourself. If you're a manufacturer or you're a marketer or you're a scientist, you know, I work more with scientists than I do with, with marketers. Um, And it's like, if you have an interest in this already, and you're fascinated by plant science, or you're fascinated by finding a treatment for breast cancer to go back to that or something, um, then there's a place for you in this. And so that it's, it's getting educated by going to the appropriate sorts of, of, organizations that are out there, like on the science side, you have like ICRS, you have, um, you know, join, if you're a physician, join the Society of Cannabis Clinicians and some of the other organizations, start talking to to other people as well. If you have a great idea for a product, you know, either figure out what you have a skill set doing and do it within an organization or put an infrastructure around yourself. Like for example, I don't want to run a company. I don't want to do the day-to-day operations of making sure the labels were ordered and are the bottles in stock and, you know, is the maintenance on the, on the manufacturing. I don't want to do any of that part of it. I want to formulate. I want to figure out the best medicine to treat various diseases. I want to figure out that on the data side of it. So I stay in my lane. I don't, I don't, become a marketer or a salesperson, whatever. So not everybody is intended to have their own company. Sometimes the best thing to do is just find a niche within somebody else's and lift them up and lift yourself up at the same time. Um, I feel like that's a a problem that we're having in the um, social equity programs as well, Mm. where they're trying to make people into entrepreneurs that maybe would just be better off being given a, a education and a, a good, solid job with future growth possibilities.
0: That's a really interesting point because they, there is such a trap in that social equity play because you end up with people who are deserving of the opportunity but don't have the skills, and it makes them so incredibly vulnerable to being preyed upon
1: hundred percent. Then you end up with either the token woman or the token, you know, ex-prisoner, token person of color, whatever it is, you know, that's the face of it. And then you dig a little deeper and it's all a bunch of white guys mm. <laughs> behind the behind the, you know. So, like, for example, I was on a call yesterday with somebody um, and. She wanted to pick my brain on some things. And she started talking about all these other companies and what a great job they were doing. Well, the first thing I did is I went to their websites, to the About Us. And I was like, Have you looked at who's, have you looked at the About Us? Have you looked at the boards? Have you looked to see who's on these companies? And, you know, and it's like, you need to look again before you think they're doing such a great job.
0: What are you most excited about in 2021? And what are you most concerned about?
1: Well, from a selfish standpoint, I'm so excited about getting octopi wellness out there in a big way. Um, I just, I think it's going to be transformative for medicine. Uh, we're, we have all sorts of things, plans for, you know, release 3.0, 4.0, 5.0, etc. cetera. Uh, the reason it's called octopi wellness is the octopi, I mean, I got different eight verticals for it to go into all within medicine, of course, all with the same goal, but different groups that'll be able to utilize the data to help uh, trans, be transformative. So that's where so much of my passion is. Um, I'm also very excited about some of the new products that Aunt Zelda's uh, that I'm working on, because you know we have to make sure that if a physician, for example, recommends a transdermal patch, I'm just throwing that out there, that to a patient that there's a transdermal patch that's high quality and appropriate available for them because otherwise we're going to fall into the trap of making recommendations for things that people can't access uh, and that's not that's that's ethically in my opinion or not uh, the right thing to do. So I'm very excited about the products that are being developed. I'm so excited about the about the data platform. And then uh, Zalira has just taken off like like gangbusters. And I'm excited to see what happens with that. You know, I'm not involved in the day-to-day of that anymore at all. So I'm more arm's length, but uh, I'm very excited. And then I guess one other thing is I'm a director of, uh, of North Bay Credit Union. And I've been on the board there for about three and a half years now. And I don't usually like hyperbole at all, but I believe I was the first person in the United States to own a cannabis business and sit on a bank board. And I'm very excited. When we first started, we were giving out 10 cannabis accounts you know, to, or I should say to MRBs, marijuana related businesses, which is the vernacular in the, in the banking industry. And then that went to 20, then 50, then hundred. And now we have over 200 uh, MRBs and are moving in quite a bit into uh, not touching the plant as well um, that are having trouble getting kicked out of this service or the other. So that's taking a lot of, of money off the streets that's allowing legitimacy, that's allowing businesses to pay their staff and with checks and the, and the staff to have a legitimate bank account. I mean, I really feel like that's moving us forward in a way to legitimize the entire industry uh, and, and, you know, be able to, I mean, to be able to take, you know, if you ever listen to some of the stories from Harborside, from like Dress Wedding, who was the co-founder of it and the less publicly known. He tells stories about going with a million dollars in cash uh, over to the offices in Oakland to pay their taxes. I mean, that's just
0: absurd. Yes,
1: Yeah. So I'm excited about all of the legitimization of it and the fact that like freaking Oklahoma is going to have Canada. I mean, come on. And this is so awesome.
0: And we've got a lot of female growers in our community who are from Oklahoma and they're, they're extremely proud of what they're doing there. So that's, it's amazing. What are you concerned about in 2021?
1: I'm concerned about federal legalization occurring without having the proper inputs into what that should look like. Um, I'm concerned that we're going to end up with a few multi-state operators and uh, pharma alcohol and tobacco pretty well taken it over and not having space for those of us that have maybe smaller focused boutique or craft businesses. Uh, I feel like that's a real danger. Um, uh, I sit on the the advisory for a group called uh, Access and Innovation, and we lobby in D.C. to get them to set it up in a more um, equitable and scientific-based way and not just, you know, who's got the most money uh, right now to put, you know, slinging products out there. We need to be able to maintain whole plant, full spectrum products and not just isolate and distillates out there. So I'm very concerned about how the federal is going to roll out Um, You know, I wasn't in a hurry for Prop 64 because I said, you know, that's going to be the death of a lot of businesses in California. And it sure, in fact, has been, you know, there's always a a bright side and a dark side to everything. So, you know, probably the fact that more people are aware and have access to it now, um, that's the good part. But the bad
0: part is
1: what are they accessing?
0: I hear that. I ask this question quite a bit now in my interviews, and this seems to be the general concern uh, with legalization. And uh, yeah, so I I hope that we are able to get some really good policy wonks up on Capitol Hill and making sure that we're doing this the right way. Because, you know, I, I agree with you about hemp. My husband was in the industry for the last two years from the agricultural perspective, and it was just a disaster. And it was because it just kind of We rolled open. Here it is. We aren't going to give you a lot of guidance. Every state can do what they want. We're still not, you know, designating CBD as something that the FDA approves for consumption. It just created so many problems that we know we spent the summer doing a quick little tour around Western states and visiting hemp farmers and it just you know we went from doing 20 30 acres to not even three acres this year over and over again we were hearing that so i hope we can get it right with cannabis. and i could talk to you all day but we do need to wrap up so okay. where can women find out more about you about aunt zelda's salira and octopi wellness
1: where could people find me? Um, you can always go to uh, uh, YouTube and watch my TED talk there on uh, separating the science from the hype. Uh, org to um, see what we got there. It's Zalera RX or something, I don't even know. But you can put in Zalera and it'll take you to it. And uh, Octopi Wellness, right now, the stage that we're at with that It's octopiwellness.com and uh, you can go there. And if you're a medical professional, you can sign up. And uh, as soon as it's ready in your area, because we're rolling it out geographically because we have to do it, you know, also vetting to make sure that people can access the right products on the other end, uh, even though the system is product agnostic. um, That's where you can go and get signed up to be able to become a provider uh for your patients when we're in your area. And of course LinkedIn and on Twitter I'm Mara BG and the same thing on Clubhouse. I mean, I'm not on Instagram or Facebook, but everything else pretty much.
0: Thank you so much, Mara, for your time and thank you for everything you're doing for the industry. I I recommend Aunt Zelda's as the number one when anyone comes to me and says, what do I take for a real illness? right to Aunt Zelda's, you can trust it. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to have a product I know that I can send people to that is trustworthy and helpful. Thank you for everything you are doing to fight stigma and to create normalization in the industry. We owe you a lot. Thank you for sharing your journey with us today. Thank you. And ladies, thank you for tuning in. If you haven't yet joined the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, go to our website, womenempoweredincannabis.com. And find your group, Supply Chain, CBD and Hemp, and the recently launched Women of Color. WEIC is a community that provides resources, connections, events, and content to women working in cannabis in the US, Canada, and around the world where there is an interest in cannabis legalization. We welcome women who are currently working in cannabis or curious about taking a leap into the industry. Consider becoming a supporting member or supporting business for benefits and access across the network. And join us next week for another conversation with Women Leading in Cannabis. Thanks for listening to today's show.
2: Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.